Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Last night's debate between Republican Donald Trump and Democrat Hillary Clinton was history-making. Perhaps no other American presidential debate was as personal, testy, or tense. Coming two days after the release of a 2005 tape that recorded Trump talking about how celebrities aggressively pursue women in a sexual manner and with Republicans pulling their support across the country, Trump Trump went on the offensive calling Clinton a liar and the devil. Clinton, for her part, also called Trump a liar, repeated that he is unfit to be president and said the tape showed exactly who Trump is. So what's it all mean? What impact will it have on voters? Analysts Cokie Roberts and Jonah Goldberg said on NPR this morning. I think Donald Trump stopped the bleeding uh, that was happening with Republican office holders peeling off of him by the dozen. Uh, But I don't think that it got him any undecided voters. It's like a plane that is uh, going down, but at least they got the coffee maker working again. (laughs) <laughs> Joining us on today's program is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, Professor of Public Affairs, and Director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. Terry, you, you got to laugh at it. Well, well, he could have said uh, maybe they got one engine going or something, but he said the coffee maker means it's still going down, right? Right, right. Uh, if you would like to weigh in, and this oh, is uh, one of those uh, opportunities that you have to weigh in on what you heard last night, uh, uh, what you think of the presidential campaign, this is your opportunity. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, your thoughts on what you saw last night. Well, let's start out with how mean-spirited and ugly and contentious this was. The level at which this debate sunk to, I think, is unparalleled. I, You know, I've I'm old enough to have watched the first Kennedy-Nixon debate in September 26, 1960. And, Scott, I don't think we've ever witnessed uh, something like this before. You know, this this could end up being reality TV writ large, and just hopefully it doesn't go to future presidential elections. We can talk about that if you want. But I agree with, with Cokie Roberts in this sense. Donald Trump's first job last night was to stop, stop the hemorrhaging not just among office holders, some 50 Republicans had gone, including, by the way, over the weekend, another Pennsylvania congressman, Pat Meehan, from the 7th Congressional District. So we had to stop the hemorrhaging, not just public officials, but among the voters, particularly those voters that were you know, somewhat undecided. They may have been for Trump, but they weren't solidly for Trump. In other words, when we ask in a question, when they say they're going to vote for someone, well, could you still change your mind? I mean, basically, that's what it's about. And I think he did accomplish that last night. I think particularly the latter two-thirds of the debate, he stayed much on message. He stayed, you know, he got some policy in there, something that a lot of folks want to hear, even whether they agree or disagree with him. But here's let me make this point. I, I don't remember a time, well, who who does, because it never existed, where these two candidates walk in and sitting in front of them are four accusers, four accusers, and I'll put it mildly, of sexual infidelity by the pres- former president of the United States who's also sitting there with, with his, his daughter. daughter and her daughter, husband's Mark, who's also, by the way, a Pennsylvania, you know, uh, the son of a former Pennsylvania congresswoman, right? I mean, you can't make this up. 
I mean, and Hillary seemed a little, oh, you know, she didn't, you, you could tell that that was, I'll, I'll put it this way, off-putting. How about that, off-putting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I've seen a number <clears throat> of uh, analysis this morning. Uh, and going back to Cokie Co- Roberts, though, and, you know, something that, that she said, and I'll ask your opinion on this. Um, you know, we know, and you know, that there's a very small percentage of people who are undecided in this race. Trump really needs the, those people. Yes, he does. Would that performance last night attract uh, undecided voters? I don't think so. And remember, the other group of people we're looking at, we're looking at undecided. We're looking at voters who have made up their mind, but who could still change their mind. That was the point I made earlier. That's two groups. And the third group is the third-party candidates, Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. What we have seen in recent polls, Scott, is their numbers have dropped. And so many of the voters there are looking at the two candidates and say, well, maybe I shouldn't, you know. I can vote my heart. I can vote my soul. But it's not going to affect the outcome. So maybe I ought to vote for the lesser of two evils, as, as it's often put today. And I think there's a certain element of truth in that. Now, so we've got three groups of voters. I don't think, and particularly women, for example, in the Pennsylvania polls, just to, you know, segue to this, we can go back to national stuff in a minute. What's true in other states, it's true in the Columbus area, it's true in Northern Virginia, it's true in the I-4 corridor in Florida, it's true in the Denver suburbs, and it's writ large in the Philly suburbs, Bucks, Chester, Montgomery, and Delaware counties in particular. What am I talking about? Women voters, swing voters, even Republicans who you know, are, are moderate to liberal or at least, you know, voters who will go Democratic in one election, usually presidential, Republican in midterm elections like 2010, 2014. You and I have chatted about those wave elections that helped the Republicans. I don't know that there was much there last night that helped them. You know, I almost wonder whether he needed, whether he looked at the debate or his campaign looked at the debate as a way of attracting voters or as much as stopping the hemorrhaging, as you, yeah. as you put it, and, and you know, Decided the, the latter? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think they had a, I mean, look, even it looked like his running mate, Mike Pence, you know, he, they pulled his schedule. He, he, where was he going? <laughs> Nobody had a clue, you know, because they pulled his schedule. I think he said he was personally offended. Uh, I, I think there was some conversation in Republican circles. I know there was, maybe not with Pence and Trump, that Pence might get off the ticket. Now imagine that. And then there's the other discussion, and I think this stopped that, about replacing him, replacing Trump. First of all, they're already voting in states. And this week it goes up enormously. Let's go to another issue. It takes time to do that. So, my gosh, you could be down within three weeks and you just get a new candidate? Mm. I mean, and, and by the way, in having taught this, I don't know any presidential, no presidential candidate in history has dropped off the ticket, you know, by health or by some other reason be, after they were nominated by a party election day oh i you know he was asked about it and he said i have no intention whatsoever yeah. of dropping yeah. and I, I, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever but they could have re- i mean i don't know could they have replaced him i mean the, according to the rules 
perhaps, but I don't know where that would have gone. You know, and, you know, there are so many things to talk about, Terry, and we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but one of the things that really struck me was the dignity of the office that we're talking about. I mean, this is a point that we've reached in this country that we're talking about a man uh, who said that, uh, you know, what you do to women is you kiss them and they they don't... uh, you, and you and, can and grope you, them, right? You can you can now, grab you know, grab their genitals, room, yeah. and, and I he, know. you can try to explain away as as locker room talk, but and the other candidate uh, has to explain whether she broke the law or not. I mean, on multiple times, right, not just one time. The dignity of the office does not deserve. I know, this. and to face again four women who've alleged that. You know, they had an affair with the president or the president, former president raped her, the husband of the presidential candidate who's sitting in the same room, as you accurately point out, with her with the daughter. I mean, and then I've never heard this before. If and there was a headline in one of the papers, you know, instead of hail to the chief, jail to the chief. Right. I mean, think about what was said when he says, I will appoint a special prosecutor. Wow. You know, and then at one point later on, he said, literally, she would should be in jail. Right, right. I mean, and that's not the first time he said that. I mean, it's one thing to say you've got wrong policies. You know, these are these are disaster for the country. We've heard that before, but the language used. And remember, we're talking about the two most unpopular candidates since we began polling. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the, and by the way, when uh, just for, for your audience. A lot of comments are made, and I love this. Well, these are the two most unpopular candidates in history. And I'm thinking, do we really want to go back into the 19th century? After Abraham Lincoln was elected, and he came up last night, seven states of the South left the Union because they loved Lincoln. (laughs) We haven't talked about states leaving the Union yet, but you get my point. These are two very unpopular, and let's be honest, if we set our politics aside, flawed candidates, flawed candidates. One thing I I, I did have to laugh last night when, uh, you know, the the WikiLeaks that came out, and I see a caller is going to be asking about that in just a minute, um, that you know, had some of her, the content of her speeches. Yeah. And where in one time she mentioned the movie Lincoln and where you have a public right. posture and right. a, a private posture. And um, and that's accurate, uh, by the way. That was fact-checked. Right. She uh, did say that in, that, in, 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 in you know, yeah. in, the, in the speech. But I did have to laugh at the part where Trump said, ah, you're bringing up Lincoln. Honest Abe. Yeah, honest Abe, <laughs> I know. There were some good... There, uh, he he had somewhat better one-liners than in the past. Oh, in yeah. The, in yeah. the past. All right, let's take let's some take phone some calls. Uh, in uh, Lancaster, you're on the air. Hello? Yes. Was that Faith in Lancaster? Yes, I'm sorry. I got a misspelling here. All right. Uh, two quick comments, please. Unfortunately... I wasn't able to see the debate. I am a Hillary Clinton supporter. However, I'm very concerned about two issues with her, and perhaps I was naive. I thought she was the long-suffering wife whose husband strayed. But I'm wondering, what do we know? What are the facts? Did she strong-arm? any of the women that Bill Clinton molested, if you will. That's one issue. 
What do we know about that? Secondly, concerning the uh, WikiLeaks, were there outright lies between mm. what she told Wall Street bankers and others versus the public? All right, Faith, thank you very much for your call. Two very good questions. Yeah, let's take the second one first. I mean, what we know from the WikiLeaks dump was that she was talking to Wall Street insiders when she did make the argument that they Wall Street had to clean up its own house. And that's not the position she had taken out on the campaign when Bernie Sanders was going after her. And, you know, whether what she actually meant by that is another matter. You know, you could twist it and say, well, she was just making the argument that Wall Street had to be part of it, that we couldn't reform it without Wall Street. And it may not be inconsistent, but Trump went way, way out of his way last evening to try to clear that, you know, to try to hammer that point home time and time again, that she said one thing in private and something else in public. Now, the, the Clinton thing we all lived through during the 90s, and there isn't, there isn't any doubt that she went after some of his accusers. How much she did is what's in dispute, just as what else is in dispute is whether, you know, he paid uh, Paula Jones, you know, in a lawsuit $800,000, but he didn't admit any guilt. Remember, that was the whole point of it. And so technically, <clears throat> did he really do anything? Did he, you know, what was the facts of that case? But he admitted no guilt, which is technically true, but why would you pay $800,000 to somebody if, you know, you had no problem? And, he, and of course, he was <clears throat> impeached because he lied under oath. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And that it, yeah. But the the other point here is that I don't think. And then she did she hire investigators to go and look into the backgrounds of these women to try to discredit them. There's some mixed arguments about whether that's true or not. The fact is that she defended her husband. Okay, let's go that way. And there are a fair number of people who think she went overboard in doing it in a variety of ways, without getting too detailed. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest today is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, Professor of Public Affairs, and Director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. We're talking about last night's debate, if you'd like to weigh in, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org, or you can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, the phone number is 1-800-729-7532. WITF's election 2016 coverage is supported by the Harrisburg office of the law firm of Saul Ewing, LLP. You know, Terry, when I uh, asked you on the program last week, I just wanted to talk about polls and the status of the... Because of the second debate, usually the first one is right. the one that gets all the attention, but the second one usually is kind of forgotten, unless there's a major gaffe. Well, then when the tape came out on Friday, it kind of changed everything with the tone of it. Sure. But... Again, looking back on it, um, I thought to myself going into this, and I think a lot of people did, is that there's no way Trump, 
I don't know whether you use the word survives because I, as I said, I didn't think he, well, he would he would uh, he would uh, resign or you know take himself out of the race. But he actually what one of the things he accomplished last night, just from our last caller asking questions, he did shine a spotlight yeah. on some of the things sure. that, that Clinton is. In fact, I heard yeah. a, a voter on NPR this morning say the same thing. He said, "I'm an undecided voter, but I was leaning toward Clinton." But for the first yeah. time, she actually was vetted <clears throat> on some of these things. Yeah. So yeah. he accomplished and something and, there. And they didn't really push her hard, hard on the latest WikiLeaks dump. I mean, they asked the one question that we talked about, you know, and it got the Abraham, Abe Lincoln response. Right. But there were other aspects in there they didn't push her on. I mean, the thing went on. I mean, as it, as it now turns out, they interrupted, the moderators interrupted 41 times. 41 times. And you get it. They were going on, the candidates. Now, in other debates, they, they let them go on much longer. Uh, but they each had about the same amount of time, what, 40, 41 minutes to 39. So it wasn't like there was unequal time. I don't think there was a fair complaint about that. But the, the fact of the matter is that there's enough ammunition on both sides. And, and that's really the point here. As you, you saw, you got a Clinton supporter who weighed in and and said, well, I'm going to vote for her, but, and then she had the proverbial but on two issues. The other thing about this is we are back 11 years in the case of Trump and over 20 years in the case of Bill Clinton. Think, here's what's amazing. We did get into some issues last night, finally, thank God. We actually got to talk about some issues. I have never seen a campaign more, and you've covered a lot of these, more about the past and more about the personalities. Oh, absolutely. Think about that for a minute. Yep. Not about who's going to be the leader, what are the policies going to be. Again, they got fortunately into a bit of that last night so the voters can see where, where they're likely to go. And I have never seen a debate. I mean, imagine where you threaten to put the, the candidate sitting, standing in front of you in prison. I mean... This is truly remarkable, but it does show you the angst and the anger from a, a large number of Americans who are very, very upset with the so-called establishment, with the political class, of which not arguably, you can like Secretary Clinton, that's fine, I'm a, I'm, but you can't argue that she's part of the, of, the, of the political class, which a lot of voters are very unhappy about. Let me ask you this. Did that debate last night establish a precedent, open a door oh, for, for future campaigns to be as nasty as this one? And here's the second part of that question. You kind of touched on this. Was that debate a microcosm of America today, yeah. how divided it is, and not That's only polarized question. and divided, but how nasty it is? Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I agree. I think it is. I mean, the comments that get made, if you just go through the social media in particular, what we're having is some of, look, we all get these crazy things. I'm sure you get them at the end of a show. I get them you know, at the end of my TV show or something else. And I've never witnessed the kind of verbiage that comes back. And I think to some extent we're seeing reality TV taken into the presidential election. We're seeing the social media taken into the presidential election reinforced by, and here's something we have found, voters on either end, Democrats and Republicans, have the highest unfavorable view of each other since we started to do polling. And they not just don't agree, 
that, okay, I don't like your policy, Scott. What you want to do is bad for the... Now they think if you win the election, the country literally will be destroyed, that the country can't survive you. Now think about that for a minute. Think about the implications and then what you're likely to do to react to stop that. And then, I, yeah, I think this could be, you know, this could be... And hold on a minute. We have one more debate. <laughs> uh, November can't come together. soon enough, but let's take some phone calls. Jim is in Enola. Jim, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi, Jim. Uh, the, uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes. The, uh, the thing I wanted to say is uh, just looking at it not from an ideological standpoint but from a uh, political strategy standpoint, I think we're going to look back on uh, this as a huge missed opportunity for Donald Trump. He was in a situation where he was going against a very unfavorable candidate who doesn't have a deep base of support, and he, he made a fundamental error, and that is he didn't pivot uh, in the general election. He is basically continuing to try to uh, build his, his base. He is. He keeps saying things that that uh, are going to keep the say 30, 35 percent of people who are already going to vote for Trump. He has done very little to try to broaden his base of support. Right. You, you mentioned right. the the, the uh, Philly suburbs. I mean, if Pennsylvania is kind of a microcosm. Pennsylvania is going to be decided by basically women in the Philadelphia suburbs. And I didn't hear anything that he has done in either of the two debates that is uh, trying to motivate those people to change their mind and vote for him. The, the last thing I wanted to say real quick is, I mean, this is a, this is a really terrible political campaign, but for, I know the two of you are students of history. Uh, I encourage people to take a look at the election of 1800, where <laughs> Jefferson and Adams made the most disgusting and awful uh, mm. um, uh, comments about each other and their lieutenants did too and yet the country came together so I think there is some room for optimism yeah. thanks all right thank you yeah, uh, that's a great uh, by the way Jim has made a great observation about why Trump didn't pivot but uh, Jim remember how he got there and you've got to think about the personality here you got to think about how ego driven Trump is and he was going to stay on that message and not broaden it but I could not agree more he had a moment where he could have did the pivot and uh, and didn't. Now, last night he did a pivot. The pivot was away from the charges against him. And, uh, you know, the, after he talked about the video, the lurid video, he immediately said, well, what about people who are losing their lives in Syria? What? And, you know, he did ISIS, that. Yeah. yeah, he did do that big pivot to issues he thinks that people ought to be talking about. So he got the message for about 30 seconds. <laughs> but overall, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Look, if we went back into the 19th century, we would find some pretty ugly campaigns. I mean, Andrew Jackson was only accused of killing 12 people, of murdering 12 people. I mean, we've had some really ugly presidential campaigns. And remember back in the day, the candidates for the presidency didn't campaign. They, they, it was considered, uh, uh, be, uh, it wasn't dignified for them to go out and solicit, solicit votes and actually go out on the campaign trail. But their surrogates more than made up for it. 
dignity was not a word that uh, we used last night. That's for, yeah, sure. that's for sure. But you know, I, I, when I wrote, when I was writing scripts and that kind of thing, and I said that uh, last night was probably the nastiest debate. And I have to admit, I was thinking yeah. in the television, electronic yeah, well, broadcast age. And yeah. you're right that we didn't have debates. But think about it. Lincoln and Douglas. Read the, the classic. Lincoln. It, it, they weren't. No, it wasn't. I mean, yeah. Now we had people being caned and assaulted on the oh, floor gosh, of the yeah. house. Oh yeah. And then we've had nasty things like this, yeah. but never in broadcast history where two candidates got together was there that kind of tension, yeah. and it was so personal. As well, it was you know where the night. future is going to go. Do his thing about. I mean, I'm not. I, I, I'm not pessimistic. Somehow we we work our way out of these things, and we'll work our way out of. We are more polarized than at any time in modern history. I mean, modern history. Yeah, modern history. We are deeply polarized right now. But the other thing is that, look, we have a generation coming along known as the millennials, as your listeners know. Last year, they became the largest age cohort, 70 million. They're, they vote Democratic, but they're not into politics particularly. And I think that there's some hope in the future, you know, as we, that because they're not hardened in their, now they're culturally liberal, they're into climate change and uh, they're, they're for gay marriage. I mean, you know, they're uh, not particularly on abortion, by the way. But having said that, I think there's some hope, you know, as we move into a new generation that we might not be as polarized, but we'll have to wait and see. Let's take a call from Philip in Harrisburg. Philip, you're on the air. Howdy, thanks for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. Go ahead. All right, so I wanted to start with a uh, comment. Noted from last night's election, yes, uh, or not election, <laughs> debate, the, uh, uh, Trump, yes, may have stopped the hemorrhage, but how long is it going to be until he, you know, well, rips the stitches out of what he just did yeah. with another comment or right. another reveal like what happened in this past week? And my question's on a similar vein. He himself said that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose any votes. Will there be anything that can actually, like, legitimately hurt him, or is it just going to be this continual stitching and stopping the hemorrhage that he's yeah. been doing this entire time? Well, you can't rule out. I mean, you can't rule out another video appearing. I mean, remember, this guy was, for for decades, out there doing a lot of events, saying a lot of things that were probably recorded. You cannot rule out that there could be additional video, audio that are that are just as damaging. But look, the last one did hurt him. I mean, at one point, at one point, this election was very, very close. He had it down nationally to about a point and a half after Clinton, after Clinton had an eight point lead. Got it down to about one and a half. I'm talking about nationally. Now Clinton's national lead is uh, is, is, is back up. You know, four, five, six points. We're, we're going to see what the results of the polls are. In our state, it was down to 1.8 percent. That's all his, her lead was after a nine-point lead. Now it's up to over eight points. So we have enough latitude left to get the swings that Scott talked about earlier with the number of people who, you know, are still yet undecided and who could change their mind. But I don't think you can rule out, and the same could occur for Clinton. We could find out some, you know, an additional email, something else that comes out of WikiLeaks. Well, the Russians, uh, and if the that Russians, be the case, yeah, that, you know, they're yeah. certainly making, trying. Yeah, I mean, uh, and 
for for and and we could end up just as as you point out just repair the stitches but you don't you don't win an election without broadening his base he's got to do better in these pivotal suburbs he doesn't have to win women voters but he can't be losing by double digits let's take a call from let's see we have uh, Carla in Harrisburg Carla you're on the air thank you good morning, good morning. thank you for taking my call yes, welcome um, just a couple comments so I watched the presidential the second presidential debate last evening and I also um, heard the hot mic uh, comments that uh, uh, Donald Trump made uh, with Billy Bush. But here's the deal. What, in my opinion, what keeps um, Americans up at night is not some stupid comments that, you know, Donald Trump has made, you know, as vulgar as they are, and he shouldn't be talking that way. That's not what keeps Americans up at night. Again, I'm calling from Harrisburg, and for me, what keeps me up at night is, as a business traveler, I travel a lot here in the country. I do a lot of traveling overseas. My concern is, in every time I'm in an airport, I'm on a plane, I'm nervous because of all this stuff that's going on with ISIS. When I'm traveling overseas for work, I'm nervous because of Americans standing on the world stage, how people view Americans. I see the protests. I see the billboards when I'm traveling overseas. Again, it doesn't make it right what 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 Donald Trump said, but I think that you know after watching two presidential debates now, it comes down to a clear choice. And I, I heard you gentlemen say it, and I keep hearing people say, "Oh, it's the it's the the women in the suburbs of Philadelphia that's going to determine what's going to take place here in Pennsylvania." I would argue, here in Harrisburg, I know people that have that are working for local companies in Central Pennsylvania that hasn't that have not had raises in years. Look at what's happening with the people that's in the coal and the mining industry right here in Pennsylvania. So, Carla, so, you're, I have to cut so, you off a little bit, but so, so you're saying that uh, you feel that uh, Trump is dealing with those issues, that those are bigger issues than well, yeah. uh, what, what Clinton, or excuse me, what uh, you heard on the tape. So here, here's the deal again. I'm an independent, okay, and I'm still waffling. I haven't, I'm vacillating back between the two. I haven't made up my mind. I, I think what is more troubling, and I'll, I will go in a step further, I love President Obama. I voted for him twice. But after eight year, almost eight years of President Obama, I feel shortchanged. Mm. And I feel a well. lot of Americans who voted for President Obama twice, and again, I love, love President Obama, but, you know, his, his policies have left this country shortchanged. Yeah. Hey, Carl. You know, I, I think that, our, Carl, especially here in Pennsylvania. Hey, I'm going to have to cut you off, Carla, because, but you make some good points. Thank you very much yeah, for your call. Yeah, she does make a couple of great points. I mean, in, in some respects, it's the economy, the fact that so many people have been left behind, the fact that, you know, we had a record number of millennials after they graduate from college living back at home because there, there weren't any jobs. You have people in certain industries where where they're stuck where they are in coal and steel. Uh, why? Because they don't have the job skills. They don't have the training to move into, the, into jobs in the new economy. Yeah, she's absolutely right about that. And then the concern around the, uh, uh, you know, here and around many parts of the world where we're not winning the fight against ISIS, whether they're, you know, they've broadened themselves, they've expanded. 
despite this, you know, supposed uh, success that we were, we, we, that the administration said we were, says and said we were having against them. She's exactly right. But what gets lost is the debate over those two issues because we're stuck back into personalities as right. we go. It and it keeps the, going back there. Yeah. And it keeps going back there instead of having debates about what the policy should be. But the caller is exactly right. I mean, these, and this is one of the things that a lot of Republicans are upset about because they think Trump, though he caught some of that anti-establishment sense and any, you know, fe- feeling about the success, but guess what? The problems aren't solved and he's not moved on and he is now, his personality and his past are at the heart of this debate. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest today is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Franklin Marshall College political analyst and pollster. We're talking about last night's debate. We hope to get on to uh, some polls in the U.S. Senate campaign here in Pennsylvania in a few minutes. If you have a question or a comment, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Let's go to Robert in Pine Grove. Robert, you're on the air. Hi, yes, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to comment, you know, I watched the debate last night, and I kept thinking, you know, both these parties, the way they keep commenting and firing back at each other, it's so childish and ridiculous. And frankly embarrassing when I talk to, like, my friends that are overseas. You know, it's (laughs) like, this is the type of people we want to represent America. And, yeah, both of them are corrupt. You know, both of them have their problems. Uh... You know, Trump, you know, he shortchanged small businesses with building deals. You know, Hillary's got the emails. Um, but show me a politician that's been in office, like with Hillary, that hasn't had their hand in the dirty cookie jar, you know, mm. and, and, and in the past. And, you know, you're not, you don't see people jumping down those people's throats, uh, like the way they do with Hillary. Um, you well, know, to I... me, it's like, no matter which person gets elected, you know, just saying here, America's going to lose. It's just going to be different in how we lose. That's, that's hey, my feeling Robert, on thank, everything. Thank you very much for your call. You know, I have to admit that uh, the, the tone of the debate last night, I associated with a playground, a yeah. playground argument yeah. that, yeah. no, you're you're worse than I am. No, you're, you're bad. Yeah. I mean, the tone and tenor of this is unlike anything we've seen in presidential debates. That's the point. I mean, it was... Uh, and you you also get the sense that these are two candidates that absolutely, I mean, it's almost as though you can't use the word dislike, but hate each other. I mean, you get the sense of that. And at one point, apparently, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump played golf together. I don't know how much oh, they, they were. At, well, the, what, the, I think the Clintons Clinton, were at his wedding. I mean, yeah, it's like they had something of a friendship going on, but uh, obviously not after this. <laughs> uh, let's take another call here from Ben in Steelville. Ben, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, and uh, Dr. Jeremy Don, it's good to hear you again. Uh, you came to the Lenfest Community Weekend, and I really enjoyed that. Thank so, you. So, um, my question is uh, basically. Last night, as I was as I was uh, listening to the debate, you know, as a as a voter, I I have made my mind up because I'm, I'm supporting Clinton. But as someone who thinks, uh, as someone who thinks that politicians should be and everyone should be intellectually honest, I was I was really frustrated because um, uh, I mean, Hillary, I thought dodged a lot of questions, and so what I'm you know I, I can only really name two questions that uh that she answered with some specificity um and straightforwardness so i 
I'm, I'm wondering if if the fact that her opponent is Trump, who is you know so radical and so uh, politically inexperienced, um, has changed her ability to to dodge questions or or, mm. or answer them. Yeah, I wonder good, how. That's, how this yeah, that, that's from a that's a good question. Debate. Hey, Ben, thank you very much for yeah, your call. Yeah, Ben, yeah, that is a good question. I mean, look, she is one of the most experienced debaters in, in presidential history. I mean, before the first debate took place, she had 13 one-on-one -on -one debates. Think about this, 13. You know how many Trump one-on-one? Zero. Mm. Zero. So she's extraordinarily experienced. And it. I think the fact is that... There is attacks on her and her husband that have been so concentrated and so venomous that I think it looked like last night it threw her off her game. And again, I go back to the four women, you know, who were there who alleged that, you know, one of them, Trump raped her. They had an affair, blah, blah, blah. Mean Clinton. I'm sorry, Clinton yeah. Clinton. yeah, Clinton. And when you think about this. This is so unusual, but she did appear, I mean, I thought that was the first time I saw her really uneasy. You could tell that things didn't sit right. And that has to affect the way you respond, even if you're, even if you're the consummate pro like she is. See, no, you know, I saw one analysis this morning that said that they thought that the, the reason that she was the way she was in the debate was that she's being cautious, that, you know, yeah. she's the front runner, had nothing... I agree with you, just as an observation. I that get the doesn't sense. explain body language. Well, right, that's right. And her facial expressions. It, that's and that exactly could... right. That explains maybe your messaging, what you say. And I do agree she was pretty cautious last night about, about what she said in many respects, the response to an earlier question about the specificity. But quite frankly, I'm not used to watching debates where you see a lot of specificity anyway. Right, I right. mean, they're not models of that. They're usually scoring debate points. Well, here, here's what, and this is a good follow-up, I think, on Ben's point, is that I got the sense that, yes, she's an experienced debate, but she's never had, it's always been yep. on policy right. or, you know, someone right. that she respected, someone that would not go to the where the Trump depths, has gone. Where Trump is gone. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I, I got the sense that she didn't know how to handle yeah, that. Yeah. And well, that, she had and some and that, practice. I, Remember that this isn't the first time they they had this contentious debate, but the last time Trump, you know, when when she attacked him, he in in many respects, one one or two points, he appeared incoherent, and right, another point. Right. He just went off, in a sense, on the deep end. You notice he didn't do that last night. Yeah, we he, saw a very different—I'm not saying every—I'm not defending him from the point of view of what he said, but he was on the message that he wanted to be on, and his supporters were gleeful last night. Her supporters, similarly, because I think they're in both in survival mode. Mm -hmm. I think they both just want to survive. For Trump, he has to make some gains. But he has to survive the loss of support of his own people. Think about where this race is. She has broadened the lead nationally, and that's— Yeah, I saw you it, doing figures off your phone yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's critical. She, he needs to stop—he needs to stop the hemorrhaging. And that's the biggest thing he accomplished last night. But look, we're down to a month. I mean, you don't have a lot of time now. And and 
he's got to fight to bring back people, much less expand them. Before we take more calls, the phones are very, very busy. I can I understand. I apologize because we won't get to all of them, but try to get to as many as we can. Uh, down ballot. Uh, you know, with so many Republicans over the weekend withdrawing their support, uh, you know, there was a time just a few weeks ago before the first debate where, uh, you know, the, the common uh, narrative was that, okay, maybe uh, voters are willing to split their tickets, and if they don't vote for Trump, they will vote for Republicans for the U.S. Senate or the That's U.S. Correct. House. But then after his debate performance, the first debate performance, there were people who were questioning that. Now with no. these four dozen Republican leaders who have abandoned him— uh, what does it do? What does this tape do? The controversy do? Last night's debate do it's to a, those those candidates, Republicans underneath him? Look, it's a serious problem. Here's why: because they have to figure out a way to get people to vote, even if they're not going to vote for Trump. In other words, to go basically and either split their ticket, or just to go out to vote down ballot, and that's not easy. And the Trump people don't have an organization, Scott. I mean, they, they, they're, they're starting from scratch. The facts are that the Clinton people are much better organized. And here's the big takeaway. In 1984, one out of every two of us split our ticket. President of one party, member of Congress from another. Four years ago, only one out of five of us did. Look what happened in our state. A certain attorney general candidate, and I'm going to leave that alone. We're not going there. We know we won't talk. Led the ticket, 13, 14%. Bob Casey won re-election by nine. Obama carried our state by 5.2%. You know what happened to the rest of the Democratic ticket? For the first time since the 1970s, the Democrats won every office on the statewide ballot. I let that sink in. First time since the 1970s. So the fear is coattail effects, down-ballot losses. That's what Republicans, that's why Republicans are setting up, well, you know, don't forget the down-ballot. You got all these important elections. Remember what's going to happen in Congress. If the Democrats win control of the Senate, you, you get the points. And so that remains a critical issue. It's important in our Senate election as well. Well, let's talk about that. Is Pat Toomey I mean, we're, I want to ask about polls before we get to, to more phone calls, but did the controversies of this past weekend and maybe even the debate hurt Pat yeah. Toomey's chances? Well, I don't think there's any doubt they did. I mean, the the video, if the video pulls people away from Trump, and how about this possibility, that fewer Republicans vote in general? Now, the Democrats have depending on how you want to look at it, an 800,000, 900,000 voter registration edge to start with. So the Republicans are at a disadvantage to start with, and the polls are all over the place. Now, on the average, the average of the polls, it's about a half a percent McGinty lead. So he has, up to this point, survived uh, the uh, CBS, uh, CBS poll over the week at 42-42. NBC... Uh, poll had McGinty up by four, and the polls have varied somewhat. This race is very close, and it could be decided if one of the presidential candidates wins our state by, I'm not saying they will, seven, eight, nine, look at the number of down-ballot ticket splits that have to occur in an era 
when ticket splitting has declined, but we're going to see an uptick in them because guess what? The Republicans are going to work furiously to make sure in this state that, you know, they don't forget Pat Toomey. They don't forget the congressional candidates. Let's take some more phone calls here in the last few minutes. Bob is in Hanover. Bob, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, and sort of keeping with what you just said, um, my question had to do with whether Hillary, once elected, and so I actually think it's fait accompli, um, is going to have a Congress that's going to be so oppositional to her that she's going to be relatively ineffectual, legislatively speaking. And, and also whether this uh, is going to apply to women increasingly or will her uh, election actually result in um, a newfound capacity for women to ascend to higher office hmm. in America? Good question, yeah. Bob. Yeah, Thank you had, very much for Great call. questions mm-hmm. this morning. Let's take uh, the, the other thing. The House of Representatives is going to remain Republican, 246 Republicans. It took two big elections to get to that percentage. By the way, that's the highest number of Republicans in in the Congress in the House since Herbert Hoover was president. And many of these, the first wave was the Tea Party wave. Reduce debts, you know, get rid of debt, uh, no deficits, reduce spending, uh, repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. You get it, all that. Hillary is not going to get an expansive Sanders-like agenda through the House. That's just not going to happen. Any way you look at it, Neither party is going to be close to the 60 votes you need to really be operational in the Senate. And that's going to lead to probably four more years of this kind of contention that we've seen during the, you know, particularly the last couple of years of the Obama administration. But more than that, I mean, we're going to probably have deadlock, Scott. I don't think there's any way around that. That's if Clinton is elected. What if Trump is elected? Well, they're not going to do the spending he wants if he wants to do spending. The problem with Trump is we don't know where he stands. I mean, you know, he's had 50 positions. I'm exaggerating on every issue. But you're hard put to really explain. He goes through his taxes a bit, you know, what he would do on the tax policy. But overall, you'd be hard pressed to say that he wouldn't change his mind in a heartbeat. But I mean, with all these Republicans who have who have left him, and and he's vowed to retaliate against them. Oh yeah. I mean, well, he, he won't be able to retaliate if he needs their votes in Congress to get his legislation through. Now, down to the question about women. Look, a lot of us who do what I do, you know, I I've, I've been to League of Women Voters uh, functions, uh, YWCA, to encourage women to get involved in politics and to run. Uh, it's it's something I think we all think is would, is good for our country to have much more diversification in the in the leadership of our of our nation and our state and in local government local governments and particularly uh, 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 pretty difficult. But having said that, I don't think either way it's going to deter women from seeking office, given the changing nature of young millennials as they get through. If they get turned on to politics, they're going to run, regardless of whether Clinton wins or not. Let's go with Heather in Harrisburg. Heather, you're on the air. I guess Heather couldn't stay on, but one of the things she wanted to mention is a small business owner. She'd never vote for Trump because he seems to uh, not pay his bills to uh, well, some, of, yeah. some of the small business owners. Yeah. Let's go to a big issue. Let's go to Max in Lancaster. Max, you're on the air. Hey, guys. I, I just wanted to say I'm a little disappointed you guys are playing this equivalency game as though it's equally on Trump 
and Hillary that things went nasty last night. As you guys yourself said, we've seen Hillary in a million debates, and we know what she does. She gets dry and wonky. They want her to talk to people and be a little bit more human, but they never say that she gets nasty. We've seen Trump in tons of debates, and we know what he does every single time. He gets petty and childish and unpresidential. So we know why things happened the way they did last night. Okay. Thank you very much for your uh, your, your call. Point taken. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, both of them are unpopular. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Trump is more unpopular than she is. There's no doubt about that. And when they each does a little better in the polls, their popularity increases and their, uh, you know, unpopularity uh, goes down, you know, when they do better. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah. I mean, it, look, this is a tough campaign. Has Trump? I think Trump in general has used tougher language. I think you would agree. I didn't hear Hillary say she would put him in jail. <laughs> so I don't you know. But but what we're trying to do here is point out that this whole debate degenerated pretty quickly. Uh, now, remember what happened in the last debate. Secretary Clinton brought up a, a Miss Universe at the very end of the debate for obvious reasons. So, you know, she can go low, as they say. Now, I'm not saying it's not a good subject for a debate, but she brought it up at the very end, at the very end of the debate, and then had the former Miss Universe ready to go with comments and to do the interviews. So, they, you know, we can... Maybe maybe we we did lead a little bit of a false equivalency, but bo both have played hardball. And look at the Clinton commercials. They're not exactly friendly. No. No, the commercials overall are, yeah. uh, you know, for almost all the offices, are almost everyone you see uh, completely negative. Uh, you don't see very many uh, uh, Tom Wolf in his Jeep kind of commercials. <laughs> of course, that was very early in the campaign. But uh, yeah, we got a lot of emails here, Terry, oh too. And uh, we'll put them on our website and uh, let you know our listeners uh, respond to some of those. We only have about a minute or so left. So One what's next? What's next? Well, we have another presidential debate, and it'll what be. What is that? Uh, I think I have. I, I think it's next week. Okay. Yeah, I should get it on my schedule. But and I'll mention while Terry's looking that up that uh, Katie McGinty, who is uh, the Democrat running for the U.S. Senate, will be on our program uh, tomorrow at the beginning of uh, tomorrow's program. Um, we'll also have uh, Senator Pat Toomey a little bit later in the month. We this, this week we're starting in with uh, talking with with candidates. I have uh, both candidates for attorney general on the program later in the week as as well. Did you find no, it? No, I didn't ah, find it. Right. We'll, I have we'll, it on my we'll calendar. So, okay, so in 30 seconds or less, or 15 seconds or less, so what's next? What to look for next? Well, I think what's going to happen is that the Trump campaign has pivoted to where they've gone. They're going to try to woo back the supporters they've lost. I think they're going to continue to hammer away at Clinton's email problems. I think Clinton, on the other hand, will stay right where she is and make the point that he's unfit. Remember, that's her biggest argument. He's unfit temperamentally to be president of the United States. That's her biggest argument. Dr. G. Terry Madonna, thank you very much for being with us today. So Katie McGinney on the program tomorrow, also LGBT history in Pennsylvania.